Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up right now to the Gospel of John. And if you will, turn to John chapter 16. And I especially appreciated the worship songs today. Let the Spirit of God fall fresh on us. We talked about really having a heart turned toward Him and keeping our eyes on the Lord. And how important it is because the Lord says, that's why I'm here. I want you to be able to trust me. I want you to be able to lean on me. But sometimes we really don't lean on the Lord very much. And so what He does then is He creates situations in our life or permits these situations to come so that we get so desperate that we finally cry, Oh, God, help! And he always says, then, I'm right there for you. And I believe those are little lessons to a bigger lesson. And the bigger lesson is that blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord always, whether or not we have a crisis or not. I remember one time Carol and I were in a place called Pansy, Alabama. You know, population four, hee-haw, if you remember that show. You know, there's hardly anybody in this little tiny town of Pansy, Alabama, except her family, because there were farmers in southern uh, Alabama. And I was asked to speak on a, a television show live uh, interview thing in Dothan, Alabama. You probably haven't even heard of that either, but it went up to Dothan. And we had this little sports car, and I was so excited about this car. It's one of those little MGBs, and it putzed right around, had uh, racing this and a racing that on, and it was at that early 20 age. You know, and so I took this little sports car all the way from South Florida to Alabama and just had a great time. But on our way from Pansy to Dothan, and there was a time I had to be there. They were waiting for me, live TV show. The car kind of sputtered and died in the middle of no man's land somewhere between Pansy and Dothan. Now, some of you would say, well, that shouldn't be a big deal. Just call someone to help. Well, I'm an old man, and this was many years ago, and we didn't have cell phones in those days. So all I could do is say, uh-oh, Carol, we've got a problem here. And my wife is such a, such a special person. I refer to her as the fourth person of the Trinity. And so she says to me, well, why don't we just pray? I said, duh. Yeah, so we then prayed. And we said, Lord, help us. We've got to get to this station. And so what happened was two things. One, we depended upon the car, and that car failed us. And I imagine all of you have a depend-on-the-car-and-failed-car story that you could share with us today. And you know when you are really needing that car, and it's not there, there's that horrible letdown. But I also have to tell you that the Lord never lets us down, and that we can depend upon Him. The rest of the story goes like this. It's a very true story, odd enough. When we asked the Lord, would you please help us? We're on the side of the road with this little broken down car. Only car that came up from behind us, oddly enough, was my brother-in-law, who himself was from Florida, South Florida, and he happened to be traveling through Alabama, and he happened to be on... It sounds like a Twilight Zone story. I just know that it does. He then recognizes the car, pulls over, and he says, well, I have two choices, Stan. Would you like me to tow you into the radio television station, or do you want me to give you a ride? And for me, I said, well, if you can tow me, that'd be a lot of fun. And my wife, you know, went white, you know, and she thought about being towed. So he hooked up this, this chain to the front bumper of this little sports car to the back bumper of his pickup truck. 
And all the way into the radio station or television station, I'm in this MGB and I'm having the time of my life because I wanted to see, does the speedometer work when you're towed? How does this thing work? But it was so small and the truck was so big that in order to see what we're going, I decided to kind of ski behind this thing. So I turned the car out this way and I'm going this way with my sports car and I'm weaving out here, truck coming, come back in here again. And now I'm watching. Now, my brother was a hot rodder. So now the car is going 30, 40, 50, 60, 75 miles an hour, and I'm 10 feet behind his truck. If he stopped quickly, it would have been mashed ponds all over the back of this truck. Wouldn't you know, the chain broke. And he pulls over, and he says, oh, Stan, no problem. I'll just tie it shorter. So now I'm four feet, and I'm saying, let's not go so fast. He says, I won't go so fast. Sure enough, he's now pulling me at about 50 miles an hour to the station. I'm telling you that to say this. While the car failed, the Lord never fails. And today I want to teach you that in a very dramatic event, probably the most dramatic event in the life of Christ and the formation of these 11 disciples of his that were going to launch the church in less than two months as he's going to begin giving, him, giving them a teaching on the Holy Spirit. And the reason this is so cool for us is because as dramatic as this story is, it will fit into any of you that are going public with your faith, as these guys were soon to do, as well as living your Christian life in a way that would bring honor to the Lord, and you encounter trouble in your life, that you know that the Lord has given you the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say that, the Holy Spirit sounds like, okay, third person Trinity, that's doctrine, that's kind of dead orthodoxy, I don't really need to hear it. Maybe I could change it this way. You get God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit inside of you, who isn't just kind of a spirit inside of you. He is known as the helper, the counselor, the advocate. And he is the one who is known for the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in the Spirit. So you have within you all of the Godhead necessary for you to do, watch this now, everything that God has commanded you and me to do to bring honor to him so that we can live out our Christian life in total victory as we exchange who we are for who he is and let him come through our life. Now, that's the overall picture of what I'm saying, but now I want to open it up so that you could see it right from Scripture. So, again, for those that we have so many new people here today, I want to give you a brief review from last week. I want to give you new material, a lot of new material today. And you want to have your 10-speed pens ready because I want to teach you about the Holy Spirit and at least three important areas that you'll need to know so that you'll be able to rest in the Spirit as well as to maybe teach that to others at the same time. So let's take you back and find out where are we in this whole story, all right? He, Jesus just finished the, um, the Last Supper. He is now walking on his way to the place where he's going to pray, the garden, on his way there. He only has 11 guys left because Judas left to go after the guys that are going to come against him. The Roman leaders and religious leaders are going to take Jesus away to crucify him. So there's 11 of him in just a short period of time, a matter of maybe an hour. I'm giving this weeks and months of this part of his life, but really it only took about an hour for him to give the teaching the best we can imagine to these guys. And so he is filling them chock full of the most important information he could. We'd almost want to call it Jesus' deathbed declaration. Now we know that Jesus comes back to life and he says a few more things, but it's like if this was the last thing he was going to share, what would he be sharing with them? And he's now going to begin telling them the importance of the Holy Spirit. So he does this as he now heads out and he's got the guys next to him. And he says two things. I'm telling you these things. I'm teaching you these things 
for two reasons. So that, go back if you will to chapter 16, verse 1, so that you won't be deceived, implying that these guys' hearts can easily be bait and switched and they could forget about all of this stuff and they miss out on this truth, which now tells me that I need to teach this over and over again because if these guys could miss out on it, so could I. So John 16, 1 says, I'm teaching this so that you won't be deceived. The two areas of their deception would be that these guys would think that, hey, Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Certain things are going to happen. Jesus is altogether lovely. Everything's going to be fine. And he's about ready to tell them, hey, shortly, you guys are going to be kicked out of the synagogues. And that sounds pretty bad, getting kicked out of the synagogues. But we learned that also meant kicked out of the synagogues, but also kicked out of their social and religious life or their Jewish life. They're kicked out of that. But that's not bad enough. He says, also, there's going to be others because of their doing it in their love or their desire for God their own God, they're going to even kill you. Now, you have to understand, these guys are bopping along. They hear certain things happening. Yeah, they just little rumblings here, but they still don't have it in their whole heart yet. And all of a sudden, the Lord is saying, guess what? You're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. You're going to get kicked out of your social life. You're also going to be brought before people, and you will be killed in the name of God. Now they start, I'm sure, thinking, what is this guy saying? Does that really mean that's going to happen? And then he says something else. While they're thinking of all this, he quickly then says... I'm telling you this now also that I'm going to be leaving. Whoa, the great miracle worker is now leaving. This is the one that fed people, healed people, raised people from the dead. And this guy that we could probably lean on, he's now not even going to be here. We're kicked out of our social life. We're going to be killed. And now this guy who we thought we could trust, who we followed him for three years, who said he'd take care of us, he's going to be going. Then he says, the number third thing was that, you know, I also want you to know, even though I'm gone, I'm going to come back again. I'm going to give you the Spirit. Now, when he talks about coming back to them, there's the proper interpretation would be, I'm leaving when I go to the cross, but at the same time, I'm going to come back visibly in front of you to show you that I have victory over death. Now, he didn't say exactly all of that, but when you read through the rest of Scripture, that's what he was implying. And I'm thinking those guys were with him long enough that they knew a lot of what he was already saying by just mere implication. I'm going to come back to you again. So even though I'm going, I have to go. It's to your advantage that I go. I'm going to come back to you. But he also says something else, and that's where we are today. I'm also going to send the Spirit, the Helper, to be with you. And that's what you and I want to own. Remember, they're part of it before the Spirit came. We're over here 2,000 years later, and the Spirit has come, so we have what they were going to get and did get later on. Now, that's our background from last week. There's a whole lot more about persecution and what the church went through. I gave you a lesson in church history from the beginning of the church to the present. Get last week's CD and you'll get all of that information. So we're in this section here, if you will. Follow along in verse 7, if you will. 16.7. He says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Now, when you read the phrase, but if I go away, it sounds like Jesus is waffling. If I go, might not go, could go, maybe not go, maybe I'll go. If I go, we'll see how it happens. That's not what that word if means. In the Greek, it's actually, a, I don't want to give you too much Greek here, but reduce it to this. It means, but since I go. If I go means since I go, I'm going to send a helper to you. Now, hold your place here because I need to give you a lot more material from this passage, but I've got to give you some background material. So go back to John chapter 14, if you'll turn there very quickly. John chapter 14. We're going to teach you a little bit about the Spirit because that's important, but I want you to not know just about the Spirit, but I want you to know Him, the Spirit. Now, I've said something pretty powerful, so let's go back over that again. 
While I want to teach you about the Spirit, I don't want you to merely have theology on the Spirit of God. I want you to know Him. Watch this. But you really can't know Him, the Spirit, and know that you know Him, the Spirit, unless you know about Him accurately. So I'm going to begin giving you some truths, enough there for you to chew on for the next week about the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that a lot of problems today that people have in their whole idea of worship, their understanding of theology, and the way churches operate today, it's not so much the problem with the sign gifts as much as it might be the problem with their accurate understanding of the Holy Spirit himself theologically. And so I want to at least set the groundwork for you to begin going in the direction of sound teaching on the Spirit. So he just said, I'm going to send you the Spirit. Now we're back in John chapter 14, and this is what he's reminding them of. Verse 14, this is where he began to teach it. Follow along, if you will, at verse 16. 14, 16 of John. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now the word another doesn't mean a secondary helper, although the Spirit is a little different than Jesus, but it means another of the same kind. And by the way, that in itself is letting you know that the Spirit and Jesus Christ, again, our deity, all right? So he says, I'm going to give you another of the same kind helper that he may be with you forever. You want to underline the word forever. So here's truth number one. There'll be three truths about the Holy Spirit this morning. The first one is that he will be in you. He will be in me. He will be in us. So the idea is the in concept, that he is inside of us. Now, stay with me because some people might think that he is in everybody and the Holy Spirit will not be in everybody. And the Lord didn't say he would be in everybody. In the context, he said the Holy Spirit will be in you, 11 guys. And now I'm taking a little bit broader picture of it to show you that he is in more than just those 11 guys. He is in all those who know Christ as Savior. But back to the passage again. He says he will be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. So we know the helper is the spirit of truth. So you can draw a line between helper and spirit of truth because they're the same. So when you read the word helper, that'll be the word spirit or the Holy Spirit. Now let me go back to the word forever just a moment. <clears throat> I wish I had time to really open this up and had a couple hours with you on this. When we teach salvation, we know that going to heaven is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone for the glory of God alone. We know that that is all by faith and not by any good works. And we also believe, because Scripture teaches this, that when you trust in Christ, the Spirit of God comes inside of you. I'll give you that verse in just a moment. And once He's inside of you, you are sealed. So the doctrine, watch this, of eternal security of the believer in Christ cannot be separated from the doctrine of salvation. If you do not believe that you are saved forever in Christ by faith in Him alone, and you think you have to do some good works then I want you to know that that isn't salvation. Because people who do not believe in the eternal security of the believer, when you begin to probe them, you'll find that they'll either answer the questions this way. Well, if I trust Christ as my Savior, I have eternal life. But if I don't keep on trusting Him, I'll lose it. Or if I do some bad things afterwards, I'll lose my salvation or He won't be in me. And so they either front load the gospel or they post load the gospel, but they don't make the gospel of pure Pure, 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 pure grace alone. And so if you separate the two, then what you're doing is you're adding works to grace. And if you add works to grace, then you don't have grace any longer. It's purely of God's grace. Now stay with me. It's also teaching that the Holy Spirit is with us 
forever. Which then means that if I could lose my salvation, then will the Holy Spirit stay in me now who was a believer, who is now an unbeliever, who was now justified by faith alone. Now I'm condemned again because I have not kept on doing good deeds. So what does the Spirit do then? Does he leave us? Does he kind of back off a little bit? What does he do? Well, this passage says he is with us forever. He doesn't say he is with us until we sin again. He says he will be with you forever. So this alone is one little small snapshot, an understanding about the eternal security of the believer. Now, those of you that have been following a lot of scripture, you'll say, what about that verse? What about this verse? What about here? How do you do that? How do you put all that together? Those of you that are already in that realm, come see me, and I'll be glad to open up scripture, and together we'll lovingly dialogue through this thing, and I'd like to show you that we are saved by grace, we're kept by grace, we're disciplined by grace, and we're taught by God's grace, because it's all of God's grace. So, he gives us the Spirit forever, not until we fill in the blank. Now, verse 17. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why can the world not receive it? Because they haven't trusted Christ as Savior. When they do, they can then. Because it does not see Him nor know Him because you know Him because He abides in with you and will be, with, be in you forever. So let's pause at the last part of verse 17. It says, because He abides with you. Now, that's interesting because, remember, at this time, the Spirit of God wasn't given yet, but the Spirit of God was with them. Then it says, and will be in you, which is future tense, implying that the Spirit is going to come in the future, which we've already had a lot of teaching on. So he's going to come for those guys in the future and will be in you. So you want to underline in your Bible the word and he will abide with you now and he will be in you in the future. And then underline the two-letter word, in. He will be inside of you. One is where he's kind of hovering around you. Old Testament would say he comes upon them, and generally it was for service. There's a few guys in the Old Testament I could show you where the Spirit of God actually came inside of him, but that was more of a, um, how can I say, a rarity, but it wasn't characteristic. It was characteristic Old Testament, he would abide with them. So they're kind of moving from Old Testament timing to New Testament timing, and the Spirit of God plays a huge part of it. Old Testament abides on you to serve. New Testament, he's to come inside of you, first of all then, to make you born again, to make you a forever Christian, to seal you forever so you'll never lose your salvation, but then to do a whole lot of other ministries inside you and me as a believer. That's why he says he abides on you now, but he will be in you later. Now, you can leave John 14, but stay in John 16. But I would like you to go to Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The reason I want you to turn there is because I want to show you when do you get the Spirit. A lot of people say, well, if I pray for the Spirit, He'll come. I, I think praying might help you get more of the filling of the Spirit, but you won't have more of the indwelling of the Spirit because He indwells you the moment you trust Christ as Savior. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And here's what you read. Verse 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, like you're doing now, you're hearing the message of truth, God is speaking it to you through a, a human, but it's the word of God, so the word of God is coming to you in truth. What is that truth? It's the gospel of your salvation. There's a lot of teaching in Scripture, but this is now talking about the good news. I think more specifically, the death and the resurrection good news of Christ. Now remember, this is Ephesians, so Christ had already died and rose again and ascended. So the gospel of what? Your salvation. So you're listening to truth. That truth is the gospel, what Jesus did for us on the cross, as it's connected to your salvation. Then it says, having also believed. Remember, it's talking to you, having also believed. Now in the Greek, it says, 
have believed in him. And uh, by the way, look up here for just a moment. I'm going to split another theological here. In your English Bible, especially if you have a New American, it says believed. And a lot of people think, well, if I just believe, I get all this thing of God going on in my life. And I know what you mean. I know what some might mean, and you might use this as a proof text. But if you went back to the original language and other places in Scripture where it's clearly identified in in English, but in this passage, it really says, having believed in Him. Now, if you will look up here, I'm going to do hand illustrations here for a moment. Believing is a great thing to do, but belief is very anemic unless it has the right object upon which you believe. In other words, if I say I trust, it depends on what object I'm trusting that will determine how steady and stable I will be. So if I believe in me, I won't have eternal life. If I believe in a religious or a social system thinking that that will bring me redemption or salvation, that too will fail. So the only object that is strong enough and authoritative enough is the person of Christ fulfilled through the work of Christ on the cross. So I need to believe in Him. Now even that in itself is a little fuzzy because what do I believe in Him about? Do I believe He's a great religious leader? Do I believe He started Christianity? Do I, what, what do I believe about Him? So saving faith is wrapped up in I need to hear the truth. I need to believe it is truth. Watch this, watch this. Now I need to rely upon that as being true. In other words, I internalize it. I engage it. I'm placing all my confidence in that. So now saving faith in Christ is I need to know that Christ is the Savior. I need to know it's not by any good deeds that I do that gets me into heaven. I need to know that by faith in Him I could have eternal life. I'm still not saved yet. Now I have to say, I know that intellectually. Now what I'm going to do is put my full weight of confidence in Christ. I believe Him. I believe in Him. And He becomes the object of all of that, and I have eternal life. Well, yeah, I get eternal life, but I get a whole lot more than that. Let's go back to the passage of Ephesians. It says, having also believed in Him, you were sealed. Now circle the word sealed. I think all of you know enough about what the word seal means. It means you're kind of locked in, sealed in Him. In Christ now, that's the in Him, because that's the context, in Him, 11, 12, 13. And what are you sealed in Him with? You're sealed in Christ, sealed, locked into Christ with the Holy Spirit. All right, you got that in your Bible? Are you following along? And then it says, a promise, which is cool. That's really cool, because Jesus was saying before then, I promise you I'm going to send you the helper. Here, Paul, on the other side of all this, says, yeah, remember, 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 remember? This is the one that was promised to come, the Holy Spirit. So you are sealed the moment you believe in Christ, and that's a promise that he fulfilled. All right, you got that? Go to verse 14. Who, not it, who, the Spirit, is given to you and me who believe in Christ, given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance. In other words, we get the Spirit until we finally get to heaven. With the view to the redemption of God's own possession. It means he owns us. We'll see that in a moment. And why is all that? It's just not so we have fire insurance. It's so that uh, it all goes to the praise and the glory of the Lord. You can leave Ephesians now and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So when do you get the Spirit? The moment you believe in Christ, okay? When you trust in Him, you get the Spirit. One of the purposes of the Spirit is to seal you. It's a promise that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, and it's all for the praise of His glory. Now we're going to look at a verse, a couple of verses on Christ, Holy Spirit, in you and me. Verse 16, 316. I love the 316. Some of you that get a little bored with your devotions, take all the, the books in the New Testament, start there and look at all the 316s and see what kind of a devotional you might write for yourself just by doing that. Look in chapter 3, verse 16 of 1 Corinthians. It says this. 
do you not know that you, that's you and me who are believers, because this was written to believers in Christ, are a temple of God. So it's not this building. It's not something we erect. All right. You are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells where? In you, in you, in you, in you and me who knows Christ as Savior. So now we have the Spirit of God in you and me. All right, leave John 3.16, or 1 Corinthians 3.16, and go to chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Some of you are taking notes, maybe make it a chain reference in your Bible. I want you to know that's a great thing that you're doing. That way you can go back to it and look at it again. Look at verse 19, it says, And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Now look up here for just a moment. Look up here. A moment ago, I was making the connection that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. I will continue doing that today if I have enough time. Here I want you to see that in chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, that we just studied, it says that you, body, is the temple of God. Here it says you, body, believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which now it's easy to draw that connection that the Spirit is Christ, the Spirit is God, and so in a sense you are still seeing the deity in action in your life. And of course there's a lot of other verses that says Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit in you, the temple, God is in you, the temple. So you're seeing that you are a partaker of His divine nature, that you have Almighty God in you. And you know what that makes you? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.